Pastor Dick walked with Elizabeth and I in this church through some very deep waters, and I've always appreciated his honesty, his candor, and, and if he, if he, he, he has a way of telling you without blowing you up. You know what I'm saying? I still wish I could learn how to do that because I blow him up. But, <laughs> but uh, as long as he will allow us, this man will be the father of this house and these churches. And I want you to give a true life welcome to our founder and our father, Pastor Dick Iverson. Would you please? I love you. Take your liberty. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, it's quite an honor to be here, and I've been looking forward to it. <clears throat> Pastor Steve and Elizabeth and Brian and Jen, uh, I love you very much, and I thank you for this honor to be a spiritual dad, which makes me your grandpa, right? <laughs> say, say hello, grandpa. I like the grandpa role. I have 13... Uh, grandkids and four great-grandkids, and I love it because you can love them and leave them. <laughs> you can spoil them and just do it, and then, here, Mom and Dad, take them back. <laughs> no, it is a great honor to be here, and uh, I'm so proud of you, Steve and Elizabeth, for your endurance, for your willingness to stand by conviction and not give in to what maybe man would want, but you've stood and you have committed yourself to the house of God, the body of Christ, and to the way of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I am so happy to be here. And I, I look over the congregation and I see a lot of oldie goldies here. <laughs> means I've been in relationship with them for a long, long, long time, going back decades. And... Uh, I start naming them, then I'll leave somebody out, and then they'll say, who didn't recognize me? No, I recognize all of you. And uh, the new people I'm getting acquainted with, you haven't seen your grandpa too much yet, some of you are newer people, but I'll be around. That's my job is to come and, and uh, just lift your hands and encourage you in the Lord and uh, just see what God's going to do uh, in this place. There is no accidents with God. This is an ordained moment for, that God had in mind long before you thought about it. He knew you were going to be in this school this morning. And he knew the, the two churches would come together. We think, you know, well, how did that happen? Well, I don't know, but I just know that God is in charge. And nothing's an accident. Everything is divinely appointed. And, and many times you, you go through tough times. And uh, you say, think to yourself, what is this for? There's no rhyme or reason. Why? And then we try to base our, our little mind around the incident or this happened or that happened or that shouldn't happen. But the Bible says all things work. Now, notice that word together. Because we, we say all things work for good. No, 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 no. It didn't say that. If you just look at a tragedy or an accident, you, you won't see much good out of it. But all things, what? Work together for good. That's why you have to step back and see the big picture, 
not some isolated incident that this happened or that happened and why, why, why. Because that's why people give up their faith. They get stuck in a, in a rut of an incident, a, a, a tragedy or a disappointment, and that's all they can think about. But you look from God's view, and he sees the big picture. It's like, like a, a painter that's going to paint a, a, a canvas, and he's a great artist, and that's what God is. And, and so you're watching this painter, and he puts his brush in the paint, and he goes, Shh. and you say, hey, hey, why did you make that smudge on that canvas? And what will the painter say? Hey, I'm not done yet. What you think is a smudge is going to be a part of a beautiful picture. And uh, I, I say this sincerely, not just in flattery, but you keep the spirit that I sense right here. Yes, and this place will not hold him in time right. because there's going to be a harvest. I really believe amen. that this is a year of harvest. I, I think everything, the economy and all the political jargon that's going on, and we're, we get caught in that. We say, you know, why and this and that. But I think pressure creates a harvest. You've got to put a seed in the ground and cover it all up and smush it down. And then you water it and it's, you think, well, that's a waste. No, pretty soon the little sprout comes up and pretty soon there's a harvest. Well, this church is designed not to just survive. It's, it's designed to be a harvesting church, a place where new people will come and they're going to find the life that you found the joy and the peace of God that passes understanding. That's why you can be in this present economic downturn and all the political stuff that's going on, and we are in another kingdom. It's the kingdom of God that knows no decrease, only increases. That's, that's God's style. He, he, doesn't, he may look for a moment that he's not involved, but he's painting this beautiful picture and if you'll just keep your faith and trust and, and believe God, pretty soon you'll say, wow, I look way back and if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened, if that wouldn't happen, this wouldn't have happened, then suddenly you see this beautiful picture that God's going to design and you're going to be part of it. Because he loves you. Do you know that? He, he, he loves the buildings and he loves the mountains, but he can create those with a word of his mouth. But you are eternal. You're going to live somewhere forever. And you are now the body of Jesus Christ. And God has something very exciting for you. He puts you on earth for a purpose. But we've got to trust Him. We've got to just say, Lord, when I don't see well the future, my faith is in You. Amen. I trust is in You. Amen? Amen? A little boy was in a grocery store one day and he went up to a jar of be uh, jelly beans and he was looking at the jelly beans and licking his lips. And, and the grocerman says, go ahead, son, take yourself a big handful. And the little boy just looks at the jelly beans and the mother nodded consent and he just looks at the jelly beans and licks his lip. The grocerman said, son, it's free. Take yourself a big handful of jelly beans. He just stands there and looks at the jelly beans and Finally, the groceryman is a little bit disgusted because the little boy wouldn't take a handful of jelly beans. So the, the groceryman goes out over there and he gets himself a handful of jelly beans for him. The little boy sticks his hands up. 
stuffs the jelly beans in his pocket and he's happy. Outside of the door, the mother said, Son, why didn't you obey the groceryman when he told you to take a handful of jelly beans? He says, Mama, his hand was bigger. <laughs> now, that's the way it is. You, you try to do it yourself and you get a little handful. But you wait on the Lord and you let God do it and you're going to get a big big handful. It's called a double anointing, right? A double portion. That's God's plan. Well, you know, I haven't been at the joint service uh, before, and it's just so great to see how people on both sides of this river, main thing is get in the river, you know, the river of God. But both sides that you can just come together and, and not be strangers no more, and you can just melt together and and be part of a family of God. And you are blessed to have Steve and Elizabeth, and Brian and Jen as, as pastors, and then the elders. I've met several of the elders. got a good team here. It's going to really work well, and I'm going to be involved with you as much as I can. I, I want you to do something for me. I want you to get a piece of paper and pencil. Would you mind? I have a problem you're going to help me with. I still teach a lot in Portland Bible College. Not a lot, but I still teach there. And when you're teaching for now 40-some years in a school, you learn. You learn if they're not taking notes, they're not listening. If they're not taking notes, they're not listening. And there's no way the next 45 minutes or three hours, whichever is going to happen that you can remember everything I'm going to tell you, but I have a message for you. I want to talk to you, and I want you to at least take down the addresses. How to secure your vision and future. What will you be five years from now? Where will you be? You, you actually determine a lot of your future by your choices. And you have to understand that this is not just God just hoping for the best. God has a divine path that if you will walk in this path, and it's very simple. I I have found in 60 years of ministry that the most profound truths are the simplest. But see, we have a tendency to want a heavy revy. We want to know what 666 means. We're not going to stamp that on our forehead. Who's, who's a man-child in the wilderness? And, you know, if we if we announced we were going to explain who the Antichrist is, this place, and they believed us, the place would be packed out waiting to know who the Antichrist is. Well, it'll all take its place, right? I just want to be healthy and alive and well whenever the future unfolds. Amen? But I have a decision to make to make that happen. I'm going to give you some keys that I have learned throughout my lifetime. So if I'm a father, Proverbs says many, many times, listen to your father. Is that right? Listen to him. And it's one of the problems we have today. You know, as Pastor Steve said, always looking for something new. Well, the trends pass away. Believe me, I've watched them since I was 21 years old as a pastor. Watch trends come and go, but the Word of God endures forever. Amen. And you have to, as Pastor said, if you, if you 
Go with the trends. Okay, you can use them to get the harb and so on, but you never leave the truth. You might package it a little different. Maybe some of us older people can't handle all this noise. Up, I mean, this beautiful music. <laughs> but we've got to realize that we're trying to reach a generation that can be reached if we can just open the door for them to hear the gospel. The music is great, by the way. I was just joking. It's not a bunch of noise. It's beautiful. And I love to watch the countenance of all the, the players and the drummer and all because I always can tell if they're caught up in the music or they're caught up in the worship. You know, you can get so... Because I play a guitar and I used to play a bass in the orchestra and boom, 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 you know. And I got caught up a lot in the music and forgot to worship God with my music. But uh, this is a, a place where the Lord is the center. And if you're new here, you probably wonder, well, this is a little strange. There's not a lot of tradition here well there is a lot below the surface there's a foundation here that I know Pastor Steve and Elizabeth have because I've known them for many years now and they love the word of God so I'm going to give you some scriptures that God put in my heart to help guarantee your and secure your future and your vision now, most of us know people who have started out in their walk with the Lord and as what we call backslidden. You know, like a dog, the Bible says, returning to its vomit. You know, that's what happens when a Christian walks away from the Lord. There's no reason to walk away from the Lord if you do the things I tell you to do. Five years from now, you'll be stronger than ever. But if you don't do these things, you could stumble and be a, a casualty in the kingdom of God. But you don't have to be. So I want to read some scriptures, and so at least take down the addresses. The first scripture I want to read, remember, and I'm, I'm speaking very clearly, I'm not trying to confuse you, but I'm going to speak the, the, the first point I want you to take down. It's found in Psalms 119 and verse 9. How? Can a young man or a woman cleanse their ways by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 1 Peter 2.2 2. 1 Peter Two, two. We are to desire the sincere milk of the Word of God that we may grow thereby. How do you grow? How do you secure your future? Well, you have to keep alive. You know, you, if you, you don't desire the sincere milk of the Word of God, you're going to shrivel and die because that's God's plan to help you grow is that word and a desire for the word, hiding the word in your heart, loving the word of God, obeying the word of God. And you can't obey it unless it's in your heart. So that's why this emphasis, another great scripture, and I, I love this scripture. It's over in Psalms 1. Psalms 1, great scripture. We'll start with verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, or we can say the word of the Lord. 
And in his word, he meditates day and night. And he, because he delights in the word, meditates on the word all the time, day and night. That word is in his heart. He is going to be like a tree planted by the river of water that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And here is a powerful scripture. And whatever he does shall prosper. Prosperity message is right here. It's not in gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to believe for new stuff. No, no, it's delighting in the word. It's desiring the word. It's hiding the word in your heart that you may not sin against him. And if you do this, if you meditate and love the word, delight in it, he says, whatever you do, it's going to work out for good. It's going to, you're going to prosper. Now, here's my first point. I want you to, you've got to get this very carefully now. A daily intake of God's word. A daily intake of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word proceedeth means ongoing. I'm talking about a daily intake of God's Word. Daily intake of God's Word. There are several ways you can read the Bible. I know people who have all kinds of degrees and PhDs in theology and so on and so on that are hopelessly drifting. It's possible to study this book for knowledge only. But this book was designed to feed your spirit. Amen. Not to feed just your brain. You know, uh, Portland Bible College, which I involved with from its beginning, every so often a young student will come in pretty bright, stay with the classes, do quite good, and all of a sudden, after maybe a couple years, they spin out and go back to the world and back to their old lifestyle. And it just blows my mind. How could they sit under a great teacher like Kevin Connor, you know, and Bill Shiler, and Ken Wallman, Lanny Hubbard, and still walk away back into the world? It's because they were sitting there for knowledge. They, they were proud of their grades, but they weren't really feeding their spirit. Now, my point is here, there has to be a daily intake of God's Word. So you say, well, you mean all of us be great Bible theologians? No, no, I'm not talking about that. If you heard what I said in the Spirit, a daily intake of God's Word. He doesn't expect all you to go to PVC. He doesn't expect you to just be a great theologian. He knows that we don't have quite the brainy power that a lot of people have. We're just people, you know. So how is he going to just take us normal, everyday people and make us strong? Well, it's that daily intake of God's Word. You say, well, Pastor Dick, uh, Brother Steve and Brian, they're great preachers. Every Sunday morning... I get a great message, and boy, it's good. Okay? Try to live on one meal a week. Just try it. Do it for a month. You'll be dead almost, and you will die. You cannot exist on one meal a month or a week. Right? 
You understand? Nod your head, yes. I, I need more than that. Okay. Well, God in his infinite wisdom knew that you couldn't survive on just a great preacher like Steve and Brian are or, or their wives, but you need a daily intake of God's yes, Word. Amen. Amen. Now, I was... I try to do better now, but I used to like fast foods. Now, I'm trying to behave myself now, but man, I love to pull into Burgerville or somewhere or McDonald's and get a Whopper. And I like it now, and on the way I'm chomping and drinking as I'm going to my next appointment. You know, my wife, she liked to go to the Olive Garden. And she liked to go to a fancy restaurant with a candle and liked to have a nice, slow meal. And I'm sitting there, and I'm done when she's just starting. And so they told me, you've got it. in order to slow down in your eating, you've got to chew your food nine times before you take the next one. I tried that. I go, next Next. It didn't work. It didn't work. But I have to say, God knows that we're not great theologians. We're just people that love the Lord, but we need food. And we need daily food. So God, in His infinite wisdom, put in what I call a fast food section. You hear me? Uh, I didn't write this. He, do, he brought it to us. And he put it right in the middle. So you can't miss the fast food section. And it is a whopper. Now, I was just reading out of Psalms 19. So let's suppose, and I'm not talking about just pointing to a scripture, but if I want some real fast food, I go to Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. I can always get a fast food Mm, that's good. So when I'm talking about a daily intake, I'm not talking about a, a definite long-term study of words in the Hebrew and Greek and so on. I'm talking about feeding my spirit because I want to stay alive. Amen. And you don't stay alive just with a lot of head knowledge. You stay alive by feeding your spirit. And everybody needs to do what I'm telling them. Real simple. Fast food, okay? Now, I'm, maybe it takes me three to five minutes to eat a Whopper, right? So I open and say I'm going to read through the Psalms and I come here to Psalms 118. Okay, I want some fast food, a daily intake of God's Word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Wow. His mercy endureth forever. Wow. I called on the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. Wow. The Lord is on my side. He's not against me. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is for me. Wow. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. Wow. You know, this is what I've found when I'll do this. And I try to do it every day. And don't get under legalism. But every day, get some fast food. 
Now, you can spend an hour and study, and I do that too, and look up all the scriptures on that subject and so on. But I want to feed my spirit. I have found this out. If I will do that, his mercy endureth forever. When I'm in distress, I called on the Lord, and he heard me. And he put me in in a broad place, for the Lord is on my side. And I will not fear what man can do to me. I have found then during the day, it's amazing how many times that scripture will come back. I'm going into a tough situation, a real heavy counseling problem, or or a technical problem I've got to find some answers for. And and then that scripture will pop into my mind. The Lord's on my side. I trust in the Lord. I don't put my faith in in the princes or the the know-how. I put my faith in the Lord. Very, very important. Now, let me ask you this question. How many know of a backslider who walked away from the Lord, and there are millions in America who once walked with God, whoever kept their time, their, their energy in a daily intake of the Word of God, that ever backslid? You ask them. I've asked people. Are you still in the Word of God? Do you read it every day? <laughs> no. Remember the old saying, this book will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from the book. A, a dusty Bible means a dirty heart. And it, it's correlating. There's a reason why God preserved his word and gave us thousands of promises. Gave us all kinds of encouragement. We heard Brian, I believe, say that the angels watch over his word. That's true. Jeremiah says, the Bible says, I will hasten to watch over my word. When you put that word in your spirit, not in your intellect, but in your spirit, you eat it. Man is a spirit that possesses a soul. The soul is, is the real you is a spirit who possesses a mind, will, and emotion, which is important, but you've got to feed your spirit. And you do that by a daily intake of God's Word. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, number two. Very important now, this daily intake of God's Word. Five years from now, you'll be stronger than ever. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. I was thrilled to hear you're having a week of prayer. It's powerful. Luke 18.1 says, men ought to always, men and women, ought to always pray and not faint or one trying to turn out badly. Men ought to always pray. Men ought to always pray. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In other words, prayer is the key. Now, if, you, if you're hearing in your spirit, the first one was God speaking to you. The second point is you speaking to God. You don't have a good relationship unless it's two-way. In other words, you, you are communicating to your spouse and they are communicating to you. It's not a one-way street. So that's why prayer is so essential. That prayer is not just a religious form we go through, but it's pray without ceasing. That's right. Now, let me explain as I did with the first point. We're not talking about going to a monastery 
<clears throat> and praying all the time. But it says pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Always pray. Now, <clears throat> what he means by that is that we have a constant relationship in prayer with him. And it can be any time, any place, anywhere you can pray. You can pray when you're ironing clothes, you ladies. Turn the soap opera off and talk to him. You can pray when you're driving a car. Just make sure you watch and pray. That would help. You, you pray all the time. <clears throat> Use your routines to pray. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have an hour of prayer and we don't have a church prayer meeting as you're going to have this, uh, this week of prayer. That's great. That's important for the corporate expression. But we're talking about you. We're going to keep you secure and have your future uh, secure. And so five years from now, you're going to be stronger, not fall by the wayside. Now, this is very important. Very important. Constant communications with the Lord. Well, you know, he's pretty busy running the universe. I don't want to bother him. He said to come boldly into his throne room to find help in time of need. He wants you to always talk to him. Just talk to him, talk to him, talk to him. Use your spare time to talk to him. You You can even play golf. Lord, you're out here. Help me get this shot now. You can talk to him all the time. You know, that's what's so marvelous about a family. A good family has good communication. Not a one-way, it's good communication. And it's not some religious form that we try to have. We just talk to him. You know, when I come home, I have four daughters, and I come home, and they're all there, and they're all sitting on 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 the chair when I walk in, and Hi, kids. How you doing? Okay, Daddy. Something problem, man? No, Daddy. We're being reverent. I don't want them to have that kind of reverence. I want them to run up to me and throw their arms. Daddy, I'm at your home. And I had a problem with this kid. He picked on me. What should I do? Hit him tomorrow? What the? I want him to talk to me. Because that's what life's all about. Well, the, He's our Heavenly Father. And He says, pray, talk to me anytime, anywhere. I want to commune with you. I want to talk with you. Years ago, I was in England. And in the seminaries over there, they taught their students how to pray, you know, to really be effective. And so they taught them. It was really humorous to me as many years ago. And uh, whenever... Uh, a pastor would be talking like this and he'd say, all right, now let us pray. Oh, Holy Father, we come into your divine presence. Let your sovereign grace fall upon our weary souls. You think God was impressed? Just talk to him. You know, that's what's so powerful about prayer. It's not a form. It's not a religious thing. He just says, talk to me. Pray without ceasing. Just pray always. Ever have a friend, the only time they showed up is when they wanted something? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) 
Oh no, here comes Bill again. He wants to borrow something and he wants some money. He wants to borrow my car or my horse, my my lawnmower. Only time they show up. That's the way a lot of people are with God. Only time you Well, it's not really bad, so I'd better pray now. Well maybe if you would have prayed it wouldn't have got so bad. I was coming up from uh, Sacramento and I was coming from a, a conference, a pastor's conference and I was by myself and before the speed limit, 55. So I was cutting probably 70 or better and coming up on the freeway right outside of Sacramento. And uh, we had kind of had uh, some understanding of singing praise like we were doing this morning. Just sing your praises. That's beautiful. I know if you're new here, you thought, that's a funny sound. No, it's just singing our own love song. Not just from the words, but, you know, I love you, Jesus. You're wonderful. And I, and I just kind of ex, been exposed to the songs of the Lord, sing a new song unto the Lord, and uh, and that's what's so beautiful here. If you understand it, you just sing your own song, not just somebody that composed a song. That's great, but sing your own song. And I was driving up the highway, raining, by myself, freeway, and I said to myself, I want to sing a new song. I'd never done this, and I wasn't trying to compose a song. I just wanted to sing a new song to the Lord. And while I'm driving, the windshield wipers are going, I flipped open my Bible on my seat, and it fell open to Psalms 25. And and I'm just not trying to compose. I just want to sing this song to the Lord. And I started singing this song without any practice. I just, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, my God, my God, I trust in Thee, unto Thee do I lift up my soul. And every time I got to, my God, my God, I trust in Thee, it was like I was interceding, you know, it just, <clears throat> my God. I trust in you. And I get to that part of the song. I was singing over and over again. And I was crying, windshield wipers, and hitting through the freeway. And all of a sudden, up in front of me, a car came over the divide. And I'm watching them, this head-on, fast, full speed, 70 miles an hour. Crash! Crash! And I jam on my brakes. And I just see this carnage up there, car upside down. Just in just these moments, these seconds cars, bodies before the seat belts out on the street and I'm sliding now. I'm sliding. I'm putting my brakes on and I slid right into that carnage and I was three feet first car that was out of that carnage. I don't know to this day how many were killed but I, they were, it was bloody. I got out tried to help. I didn't know a lot about this. And ambulance came. Fire trucks came. Wreckers police. I was there probably an hour and a half. And I was trying to help people and comfort them, pray with people. And just, There were seven cars. And I slid and I was three feet away when I walked back. I was the first car. One second later I'd been in the middle. One second. I got back into my car and I, I was looking at the ambulance and People's bodies being taken away. I said to myself, what was I doing? 
when the, and I remember my Bible's on the floor. I remember I was talking to the Lord. I was singing to the Lord, My God, my God, I trust in you. Probably wouldn't be here a second or two later. Probably wouldn't be here. But God said, that's far enough. You're not going into that carnage. That's what's so powerful about this constant praying without ceasing. Talk to him. You don't have to get acquainted. You just talk to him all the time. Smith Wigglesworth, great man of faith and power and miracles, was asked the question, how many hours a day do you pray to have this power? You know what he said? I can't re- remember ever praying one full hour. But he says, I can't remember one waking hour that I didn't pray. Get the point? I don't do away with the hour prayer or whatever you do at this church. But he was saying, it isn't that one hour, it's that every hour. Talk to him. Amen. Amen. You're going to class and you didn't study too well and you're taking your big test. Well, Lord, help me. Have mercy on me so I can guess right. (laughs) God cares about you. He knows your weakness. Now, that's not to be lazy, but He understands our frailty. Just talk to Him. Communicate. Every, Every time you have a chance, talk to Him. Talk to Him like He's right next and sitting there. Lord, I need your help today. I'm going into this counseling situation. I don't know what to say. Would you help me, Lord? You think he's going to help you? Of course he will. Okay, the next one. Very important one. I'm I'm saying this because you leave these pieces out of your life and you're going to be weak. You're going to be weak. Daily intake of God's Word. Constant communications with the Lord. The next one is very important also because... I'm talking to you about how Satan really takes us down. It's not an accident he takes us down. Over in, in Jeremiah, the 6th chapter and the 16th verse. Listen to it carefully now. You've got to hear it with your spiritual ears. Stand in the way and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is. And walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. Over in Matthew 13:52, Jesus said that a good man will take treasures out of the old and the new. So we're not just going to be antique Christians, but we're not going to lose our foundation because of something new. So he's saying here, stand in the way and see and ask for the, the old paths where the good way is And you will find rest for your soul. But in this case, we will not walk in it. They revolted against the Lord. The, the, The third point here is very, very clear. Don't allow the precious things to become common. This is the enemy's trick. Is to take precious things and just make them become common. So in search of truth, 
don't neglect the old landmarks. In search of truth, don't neglect the old landmarks. That's what your pastor was saying. Trends come, trends go, methods come, but principles never change. The Word of God never changes. You never can get by without this constant communication, the daily intake of God's Word. But here's one of Satan's real tricks. He'll make precious things become common. Oh, hum, another Sunday morning. Oh, hum, let's worship the Lord. Oh, hum, another sermon. Oh, hum, precious things slowly become common. And it can happen to prayer. It can happen to the Word. It can happen to your family. You just take precious things for granted. The house of the Lord. Oh, well, we don't have to be there. You know, I'm there enough. You know, we take worship for granted. We take evangelism for granted. Oh, well, no big deal. And precious things suddenly become common. I want to read an article. It's a true story. I want you to listen to it. One moment we were just a normal family, and the next moment I was pulling the limp body of my two-year-old daughter out of the water. I came face to face with one of Satan's slyest agents, the agent of familiarity. His commission from the dark abyss is clear, and it is fatal. Take nothing from your victim, only cause him to take everything for granted. He, he had been on my trail for many years, and I never knew it, but I know it now. <clears throat> I have come to recognize his tactics and detect his presence, and I'm doing my best to keep him out. His aim is deadly. His goal is nothing less than to take what is most precious and priceless and make it appear as most common. To say that this agent of familiarity breeds contempt is to let him off easy. Contempt is only one, just one of his offsprings. He also sires broken hearts, wasted hours, and an insatiable desire for more. He's an expert in robbing the sparkle and replacing it with the drab. He invented the yawn and he put hum in humdrum. And his strategy is deceptive. He won't steal your salvation. He'll just make you forget what it's like to be lost. You will grow accustomed to prayer and thereby not pray. Worship will become commonplace and study will be optional. And while with the passing of time, he will infiltrate your heart with boredom and cover the cross with dust so that you'll be safely out of reach of change. Nor will he steal your home from you. He will do something far worse. He will paint it with a coat of drabness. He will replace the evening gowns with bathrobes, nights on the town with evening on the recliner, and romance as a routine. He will scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures until they become memory of another couple in another time. He won't take your children. He'll just make you too busy to notice them. His whispers to procrastinate are seductive. There is always next summer to coach the team or next month to go to the lake or next week to teach Johnny how to pray. He will make you forget that the faces around your table will soon be at tables of their own. 
Hence, stories will go unread, games will go unplayed, hearts will go unnurtured, and opportunity will go unnursed, unnoticed. All because of the ordinary, because the ordinary has deadened the senses to the magic of this moment. Before you know it, the little face that brought tears to your eyes in the delivery room has become fairish, perish the thought, but common. Unless something changes, unless something awakens you up, the common kid in your home could be a common stranger, all because of familiarity. It took the near drowning of our child to awaken me. I had forgotten how important common things are. Think about it. You're in a great church. I, I, I visit probably 30 or more churches a year. And I put the dipstick in. Do they love each other? Do they like to be together? Do they love the Lord? Is worship a routine? Is it just three songs and a prayer and get it over with? This is a great church, Steve. You've got a great group of people. You've come through some very tough times. Both sides. Tough times. But I have to commend you that you've kept your focus on the Lord. Not on your problems, not on your woundings, but on the Lord. And that's why we're alive today. That's why we're making it. That's why we're we're gonna have a great year in two thousand ten. We gotta start reaching out now. We got a place that we love, where God is, where people can be healed, restored and saved. This is a great church. God doesn't go by size. He goes by quality. You can have a 1,000 or 10,000 and just be a crowd. This is a family. You have to appreciate it. And don't let coming to church like this become common. It's, it's precious. Very precious. Don't look at the, the hiccups. Look at what God's doing. Look at what the Lord's doing. My last one. Number four. 1 Peter 5.8 Satan comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 2 Corinthians 11.14 Marvel not that he will come as a minister of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 2.11 We are not ignorant of his devices lest he get advantage over us. John 10.10 the thief cometh not but to kill, steal, and destroy. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to close now. <clears throat> the last point. If you're going to be alive and well, five years from now, ten years, whatever, <clears throat> don't underestimate the intelligence of Satan. Don't underestimate the intelligence of Satan. <clears throat> you're the target. He's got the world, but you're the target. <clears throat> so he's going to throw everything at you he can. It gets you to become discouraged, take things for granted. The word no longer has a place. We don't communicate with him anymore. And he's really worked you into a corner. Now listen to me carefully. Don't underestimate the intelligence of Satan. When it says Satan comes to us as a roaring lion, a lot of people say, yeah, but he's toothless. God wouldn't use this analogy unless 
He was like a roaring lion. That's going to tear you to pieces. And I think this church of all churches know that. But never underestimate the intelligence of Satan. A pastor friend of mine gave me permission to use this illustration. He pastored a church about 80 miles from here, so you can figure out where that is. And he was struggling with a church of about 100 people. And uh, he loved the Lord and loved the people, but the people just weren't supporting and getting behind him. He wound up being the janitor and turned the heat on, fixed the building, and they'd just come and just... He got very, very discouraged. Let me tell you this. Discouragement is one of Satan's key weapons. If he can get you discouraged, I don't care what it's about, your job, your family, your church. Oh, brother, oh, no. Because Satan will enlarge that and play upon your discouragement. He said, I was, Pastor Dick, I was very discouraged. And he said, I was going nowhere and I couldn't get the people to support me. And this, not, not, nothing was working. So I'm on my way into Portland and I find myself, this is his confession, stopping at a tavern, slipping up to the bar. And I took a glass of beer. And I, I took the second one. He said, I left this life of drinking and booze behind 20 years ago. But I'm at the bar, boozing up on the beer. When I took the second one, I held it to my lips, and I looked in the mirror, and I saw myself with a second glass of beer that I had not touched for 20 years. I was ashamed. I sat it down, didn't finish it, and I left the tavern. I had an appointment to see someone. Then I realized I got beer breath. So I don't want to be offensive. So I went by a theater and it was open, decent theater. I said to myself, I'll just go into the theater and kind of let my breath clean up a little bit and then go to my appointment. As I walked up, he said to buy the ticket to go into the theater Around the corner came a prostitute dressed as such. And I've never been unfaithful to my wife ever. I had no interest in her, but she'd come up to me and, you want to have some fun? And I made a statement, what do you charge? I had no interest. See, just a minute, sir. And she walked back around the corner and two policemen stepped out. And you're under arrest for soliciting a prostitute. And he found himself handcuffed in the back seat of the car. And the background was they were looking for a murderer. Several prostitutes had been murdered in that area. And he found himself handcuffed in the back seat of the car, taken to the courthouse. He stands before the judge and said, I was not soliciting. She came to me, but you responded I'm not. I'm a pastor. I've I've never been involved in prostitution with a woman, ever. He said, well, okay. Then uh, we want you to come back for your trial two weeks from now. Now, I think you're wise enough to know that the newspapers love it when a pastor falls. 
They don't put that in the newspaper when Joe Blow falls. But when a pastor falls, that sells newspapers. And so he said to himself, they'll take this and they'll put it in the Oregonian or whatever, and the pastor allegedly charged with engaging in prostitution. Never underestimate the intelligence of Satan. See the downward trend. He said, well, Your Honor, what if I say I'm guilty? What's the situation? Well, it's a $250 fine and you're out of here. Okay, I'm guilty. Because he didn't want it in the newspaper. He wrote his check out for $250. And <clears throat> the judge said to him, Now you report in your little town of about 10000 for the next six weeks to your probationary officer in your little town. And he realized the newspapers will have that in my little town. Pleaded guilty. Not alleged. But now I'm guilty. He called me about that moment and said, Brother Dick, I have to give up my church. I, and he told me the story that I just told you. He said, I have to, I have to give up my church because it's going to be in the newspapers in our town. I said, well, let's, let's meet with on Wednesday night, next Wednesday. You call an emergency meeting and get all the people there you can. And I'll come up and we'll walk through this with you. But I need somebody to take the church. Let's go through the first step. So I walked, went there and about a hundred people showed up. They didn't know what was going to happen. And so the pastor got up and he told the story I just told you. And they were stunned. He said, I have to resign the church. And he said, this is what happened. It's going to be in the newspaper in the next few days, and I need to, I need to go. Stone silence. And then you heard somebody sobbing in the back. Somebody else started crying. And somebody stood up, Pastor, we're guilty too because we haven't helped carry the load of this house. Don't leave us. We want, to, we want you to stay and we'll go through the embarrassment and reproach. Don't go, Pastor. Please don't go. And before I knew it, a hundred people swarmed around that pastor and were crying and said, don't leave us. Please, don't leave us. Never underestimate the intelligence of Satan. But the mercy of God was there. He reported to his probationary officer and it just so happened as he told his story to the probationary officer, that he was a spirit-filled, born-again Christian and never one time reported it to the newspapers. That church never suffered any reproach. That man of God is doing great today and serving the Lord. He came that close. Never underestimate the intelligence of Satan. He wants to take you down. Would you bow your hearts in prayer?